So you look at the Gospels, and there's this story in, in John where you have Jesus and this man born blind, and they come up to him, and they're like, yo, who sinned? Why is he blind? Somebody must have did something wrong. Was it his mom? Was it his dad? Was it his grandparents? Who did wrong? Who sinned? And Jesus said, no. Nobody sinned, but that the glory of God, that God may be seen fully. And then he opens this, eyes, this man's eyes. Does that make sense? And so, so all suffering exists because of sin in the world. But that doesn't mean it's caused directly by it. We have to um, understand that as we move forward. The, the, the next truth, the last one, at least for today, is um, not true for today, but true for leading up to Psalm 22, is suffering in silence or alone only maximizes the suffering. Like, like suffering itself is so hard. But when, we, when, we, when, we, when we're alone, when we're isolated, when we don't feel like we can talk about it, it only increases it. And even this psalm, what's fascinating about it, I'll say it now, reiterate it later, is this is to be sung aloud. It almost frees us to say, you're not crazy by experiencing deep pain. And I like that. Um, in view of that, one thing we know is that it, you can't predict suffering, but you can prepare for it to some degree. Paul Tripp has this quote um, it's from his book, Suffering. I think it's very, very good. It's a book I would encourage us to read. It starts off like this. It says, it was a surprise visit by an unwelcome visitor. He's kind of given this imagery. Like it is for many sufferers, I didn't know that day that Mr. Hardship would knock on my door, barge his way in, and take residence in the most intimate rooms of my life. (laughs) And I didn't have any idea how his presence would fundamentally change so many things for the long run. I watched him go room to room through my life, rearranging everything, wondering what things would be like if and when he finally left. If I could have, I would have evicted this unwanted stranger, but I failed at my many attempts to boot him out the door or deny that he had even taken residence in my life. I spent way too much time trying to figure out why he knocked on the door and why he had chosen this particular moment, but never got clear answers to my questions. Once I realized that I couldn't kick Mr. Hardship out of my life, I gave myself to trying to understand how to live with him or around him. Paul Tripp. I like that. And I want to say that in front of us in this moment because he is getting at the reality of suffering, but he's moving us towards an even greater reality, which it is possible to live in light of it. It may not be possible to escape it, and I'm going to argue that escape isn't necessarily always the goal, but it is possible to live in view of it. And what he's going to do and what the scriptures are going to do is they're going to give us a pathway to living well when it isn't. And whether it's this week, next week, or the rest of our lives, if we get that, man, there's beauty and growth to be experienced and had as we live this side of eternity. Psalm 22 is this prophetic, powerful praise and prayer of a man who's suffering. And in it, we start to get glimpses of 
of, of his lament, which is really our lament, his longings, which are really our longings, and then, then even a pathway to living well. And so that'll actually be our time, like through Psalm 22, we're just going to look at our shared lament and longings that David is giving us. Uh, but then also this beautiful pathway of life forward. And so longings and then life forward. Read with me. Um, it is long, but I mean, I just think it reads poetically and it says to the choir master, so it should be read aloud. And so read with me and then we'll take it bit by bit, um, not in a hurried way, but hopefully in a quick way. Verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. That's so poetic. You, you sit on the sound of your name being praised. I like that. Uh, verse 4, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I, I am worn and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is no help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving, ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Do you just feel it? Do you feel his despair? Can you sense his cry? Is this where you are? My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breasts. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. I'm weak. I'm tired. I'm suffering. And my mouth sticks to my jaws. That's so vivid. You lay me in the dust of death. My home is like a grave. That's what he's saying. For dogs encompass me and a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I could count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. They play craps with my clothes. They're gambling over my belongings. But you, O oh Lord, did not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will Tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. 
all you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all of you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows will I perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the end of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And the families of a nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. You still rule. And he rules over the nations, every single one of them. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. There's certain passages where you actually don't feel like you need to preach. You know, it's like we just need to just read that again and again and again and again until it becomes the language of our hearts. That's really what needs to happen. I wish I had the courage to do that. I do not. Um, plus, for such a time as this, we need to unpack it. But I would encourage you beyond this moment to just read that again and again and again and again and again until it becomes language for your heart where you're just like, okay, all right, this is a pattern I must follow. The interesting thing about this, a couple of truths, um, then our longings, is that this is prophetic. It's going to point to something in the future and someone is going to utter it if you've if you've heard this before you know who that person is don't steal the thunder it's coming okay but but it's it's prophetic so it's 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 not just meant to be internalized but it's meant to almost look forward to what's what's coming there's a little window in there where he he looks beyond this moment and he lifts his eyes to the future and it's beautiful we're going to get there but there's something else here that i think is true of all of us but it's a little hidden this is a very personal yet corporate, but deep personal, internal lament of anguish, spiritual. What, what he's grieving isn't just the circumstances around him. It's what those circumstances are, are communicating to him. It's how he's interpreting those circumstances, namely that the, the pain around him means that God isn't with him. So there's a spiritual dynamic, this, this level of, God, you've left me. Now, now, one may read that and be like, well, because of it, this is just for Christians. I would argue no, that all suffering is spiritual because all suffering deals with the reality of living in a fallen and broken world, and God speaks to that. But furthermore, all suffering is tied not just to the external pain, it's tied to what that external pain is doing to us, which means we don't just suffer the thing, we suffer a particular way. Does that make sense? So it's not just this bad thing that happened to us or this bad thing that is happening to us, but it's the bad thing that happened, this bad thing that continues to happen, and how that bad thing is working inside me. Does that make sense? So you're more than a physical being, you're a soulish being. And so when you suffer, even if it feels like it's just like a boo-boo on the outside, there's something deep on the inside that is happening. That's all suffering is ultimately going to be spiritual to some degree. 
all suffering is, is, a, is a road that leads to a face-to-face with God. Now, secular psychologists and, and, and even philosophers, 20th century, when you start to see the height of suffering, where you, let's talk about, you have all these people who were just mass genocide everywhere. Their conclusion, it led them to this road where, well, God is dead. He doesn't exist. But it still led them to a face-to-face encounter. Does that make sense? You don't believe in God. That's okay. When you suffer, it'll lead you to a place where you either say, man, let me examine how I believe God to be. Or, no, I'm not going to examine. I still don't believe he exists. But for the believer, when suffering leads us to this face-to-face encounter, we learn some rich truths that could cause us to live well. So that just needs to be said. But as he is articulating, notice how what he is lamenting is also what we lament with suffering. The loss of presence, that's the beginning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken to me? It's a loss of intimacy. Things aren't as sweet and close as they were. Where are you? He's he's lamenting or he's suffering rejection, social and spiritual abuse, if you will. Uh, Verse verse 7 Scorned by mankind and despised by the people, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusted the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue, for he delights in him. Have you ever, this is for the Christians, have you ever just, life is not going well and people are like, well, maybe you should give up on that God thing. The bold ones who are able to say that to your face because they're in relationship with you. But some people say it like almost underhandedly, sarcastically. Well, you know, you're over here giving your money to this church thing. Go pay your bill. Like it. Rejection and social, spiritual abuse. He's lamenting that. Notice what else he's lamenting. He's not just lamenting pain itself, but the threat of more pain. Verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. That's that is the, the, the imagery is they're not just here, but they're ready to do more damage. Isn't that the case? That when we're suffering, it's not just the pain that we're experiencing, but it's like, is this going to lead to more in the long run? The threat of more pain. Do you see his lament? It's ours as well. But not just the threat of more pain. It's the, the lack of vibrancy, vitality, experiences of joy. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint and my heart is like wax. My strength is dried up. There's no vitality there. I'm impotent. The things that brought joy don't bring it anymore. (sighs) You know how after you brush your teeth, there's like that aftertaste of toothpaste. Have you ever tried to drink something like immediately after you brush your teeth? It's nasty. Like it's like it just makes you want to vomit. Yeah. And 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 what, what he's saying here is like if 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 I if I'm if I'm experiencing something good because suffering is present, it doesn't taste good. Does that make sense? That's what he's getting. He's like, there's just no vitality, there's no vibrancy, there's no experience of joy. Life sucks. Things aren't good. And might I say, welcome to humanity. He is not trying to escape this the way we escape it, by denying its existence. But he's looking for answers in the midst of it. He's lamenting. 
His laments point to his longings. He's crying out because he's longing for something, but notice what he's longing for. He's longing for presence, verse 11. Be not far from me, verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. He's he's, he's longing for for presence, for, for, for someone to be close, spiritual or not spiritual. When you suffer, you really don't want to suffer alone. Sometimes you suffer alone because you feel like nobody else will be there. But if you could just have somebody to put an arm around you, if you could have a shoulder to lean on, you would. Does that make, does that make sense? So, you, so he's, he's longing for presence, which we all long for, but it's not what it's, I want to laugh too. No? Uh, no? Amen. Praise God. Let's just push through. I wanted to be part of the joke. You know, I have FOMO, like, like for real. And so, like, so I'm just not going to be able to focus. Thanks, Lordy. Um, but it's not just social, like put, like put your arm around me. It's spiritual. It's, God, where are you? I want you, I want you close. He, he's not just longing for presence. He's, he's longing for a finish line. Verse 20, deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. You see, he's like, bring this to end. Now, now let, me, let me say this. We all, like once you're suffering, you're like, yo, like I want this to stop. Now, I'm not going to steal Carlos's thunder next week because he's going to preach on this how long, oh, Lord. But we all want this to stop, right? But, but here's the thing. We, we know inherently that, like, once we know there's an end date, we can endure a little bit. But enduring doesn't necessarily eliminate the existence of the struggle. So first and the 15th, right, what happens if you have a job? Not for everybody, but if you have a job, what happens? You, you go broke. Who said go broke? Amen. That was from the soul. That <laughs> came from a real place. Mindy, I'm with you, though. Uh, life is real. And so, but you, you get this paycheck. And so if you don't have money, you know, man, when the first and the 15th is coming, like money's going to get deposited in my account. So you're able to endure a little bit differently, right? But that doesn't mean that you don't have to endure. Does it make sense? And so this longing for a finish line doesn't mean that he's not going to have to exist in the pain until the finish line comes, but he's longing for it. Bring it to an end. Are we done yet? There's another thing that he's longing for. It's kind of all in there, but Job actually brings it out. So let me read Job because he makes it more clear. Job 7, 19 through 20. How long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? What he's getting at is purpose. Yo, you make this make sense. There's, a, there's, there's several lies we, we tend to believe in suffering. One of the lies we tend to believe is that if I know the reason, I'll be good. That's actually a lie. And, and then we'll say stuff like, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Well, not every reason is a good one. Let me just, you know, and so, so just identifying the reason or the purpose behind something, it actually doesn't help us as much as we think in the midst of suffering. Because what you really want is not just a purpose for it. We think we do, but we want presence in the midst of it. But it's still there. Make this make sense. But what we'll see, it's not necessarily making sense of the suffering. It's providing a picture in the midst of it. But, I, but those are our laments. Those are our longings. Are those, is that you? Feel like that? Maybe? It's David. It's me. Those laments and those longings, they, they continue to grow in the midst of the suffering as suffering increases as we stay in it. And if we don't have hope, we start to believe some lies. The greatest lie that we believe is that an experience 
of suffering, the existence and an experience of suffering is an indictment on God's care and concern. So because suffering exists, not just because it exists generally, but because I'm experiencing it personally, that means God does not care. He's not concerned. He is not in control. Is it an indictment on his power or his goodness? That's the lie we tend to believe. And if you exist in suffering without hope, that is the lie that you will continue to live in. And what will happen is you will pull farther away from God, not closer to him. But what's fascinating, it is absolutely fascinating about Psalm 22 is the extremes that exist. Like there is this extreme anguish that you see in the beginning. My God, my God, where are you? More pain possible. No strength, no vitality. Yet there's this pivot and this extreme praise at the end where it's almost like how could the person who said, God, you've forsaken me, also say, God, I will rest in your faithfulness. That's crazy. But what we see is he's starting to cling to to some truth in, in this psalm. He's, he's clinging to a promise. Let, let, me, let me rattle off the promises that, that this psalm produces for us, but the scriptures bring out in multiple ways. L- listen, the, the first is this. The promise isn't the purpose behind it. You don't get purpose behind any of this in Psalm 22. There's not, all these people are encompassing you because you sinned, David. May have been the case, we don't know that. The promise isn't the purpose behind it. The promise is it will eventually end. And he starts to think about that and he praises it. That's the end. 22. I will tell your name to my brothers. You who fear the Lord, praise him. I'm praising you. It's going to eventually end. There's another, there's, there's another promise. The promise isn't the purpose behind it. Again, there's no, here's the why. The promise is we can live well. When things aren't. So, so notice this. He says, for he has not despised or bored the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. When did he hear? Was it when the suffering was done? No. He heard when he cried. When did he cry? When it was hard. Do you see? So, so there's, a, there's a promise of, of, of hope and experience in there. This is... Um, Isaiah 42, by the way, Isaiah 42, 3 says this, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. It's it's promised that God is gentle in all of our groanings. He's tender. He's tender with us. That's part of the living well, the tenderness of God in the midst. There's there's some there's some more there's some more in here. Um, the, The promise isn't just removal from its protection and presence in. So verse 21 is very interesting. It's, it, it reads like this. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now, now depending on, on how you translate this, this could be, this could be like, you, you rescued me. So he could, be, he could be making this statement, you've already done this, right? And so he's, he's looking backwards. It, it, he, this could be, I believe that you're going to do this. So he's making a statement in the midst of it. Does that make sense? Now, I'm going to argue that I, I don't think that he's looking back and like reflecting. I think he's looking forward and reflecting. I think he's like, God, you, you're going to do this? This is so certain. I'm crying out to you in the midst of it. And now I'm pivoting to praise because after 21, you have extreme praise, extravagant praise. 
So there's this declaration, this determination of the goodness of God. So it's, it's presence in. It's not removed. He's still surrounded, yet he's praising because he's protected in the midst of it. He has presence with God in the midst of it. This is John and Jesus and Lazarus and Martha and Mary, where, where Lazarus dies. And like before he dies, he's sick. Uh, and, and the disciples get, get wind of this. And, and the scriptures say that, that the disciples say, yo, yo, the one whom you love is sick. And Jesus is, says, okay. And then he stays an extra three days. And one would be like, Jesus, that's mean. Because even when, when he gets there, the, the statement to Jesus is, if you would have came sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. You know? And Jesus weeps, but then he's also truthful with Mary and Martha. He's so, he's so good. But, but what we get from there is that, yes, Jesus could have prevented it. But what God doesn't prevent us from, he preserves us through. He, he sits with us. This is Jude, the end of Jude. Now unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling, suffering, and present you blameless before his presence with great joy. He's keeping you by walking with you. Like, and, and, and so the promise isn't, this, I'm going to be removed from something. The promise is I'm going to be protected and I'm going to have presence in the midst of it because the promise is presence. The promise is suffering is presence. We know this because this is the picture Psalm 22 gives us. What is absolutely ground-altering about this is that these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, weren't just spoken by David, but truthfully, they're spoken by every Christian everywhere for all time. That there are moments where we regularly say, my God, my God, where are you? And if you haven't, you're lying. But it's not ground shaking because it was spoken by David. It's not ground shaking because it's spoken by every Christian everywhere. It's ground shaking because it was spoken by Jesus. So Matthew 28, 45. Now, the sixth, now, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma, sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on the reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Let's mock him a little bit. You save others, now save yourself. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. How can I explain this? I'm, I'm, I'm moving to land a plane. When you have intense pain, you actually don't want to talk. Have you ever noticed that? Like, you're just like, I'm screaming, just like, get off me. Like, you know what I'm saying? How are you doing? It's like, you just, don't, you just don't want to talk because pain almost like seizes your breath. Jesus had been beaten. Jesus had been bloodied. Jesus had been flogged and whipped, skin peeling from him. Jesus is being crucified at this moment. Meaning that he is suffocating. He is choking on his own blood. He's gargling up his own blood. And in the midst of all of this gargling, in the midst of all of this pain, he, he, 
he, he, he spits out blood-soaked words, if you will, the beginning of Psalm 22. Now, some people there are like, oh, look, he, he realizes God has finally abandoned him. But we know how Psalm 22 ends because we read it. Jesus is spitting it out both as an acknowledgement of where he is and a statement of who God is. Here's what I mean. He is in the midst of significant suffering. The one who existed in perfect harmony forever with God in this moment is experiencing separation because he is bearing the weight of everybody else's sin. Now, separation because of sin isn't just momentary, it's eternal. And so if we die without confessing and repenting from sin like we talked about last week, we don't spend eternity with God, we spend eternity away from him. So Jesus is not just experiencing momentary separation, he's experiencing eternal separation. He is experiencing hell on a cross. No one suffers like Jesus suffers. But that statement in his experience is this. He is entering into our suffering. God doesn't distance himself from us in our suffering. He enters in. He suffers with us. That is crown shaking. That God won't step back and say, you figure that out over there. But God comes in and he's like, yo, like I am with you. He humanizes us. He destigmatizes suffering. It's the greatest statement about God's care and comfort, and it offers us a better path to living. So much I want to say about that. Verse 5, Psalm 22, it says this, To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. We don't have to wait for the pain to be over to find life. We just have to wrestle in the midst of it. So many people have articulated that friendship happens when you run into somebody and you're like, you too? For me, I found that to be true growing up early. I used to love anime, still do. Um, but because I had athletic vibes, I would always be like, you know, can we really talk about Dragon Ball Z? Which is like the, the gateway anime drug, you know, um, Dragon Ball Z. And, but I would find people and they, they would watch it. I'd be like, oh, you too? It's like, all right, friend. But, but, but friendship isn't just you too with like, like, like highlights and happy times. Like, so I tore my ACL twice, two different legs um, recently. Um, had surgery, you guys know the story. About two weeks ago, um, I was at Jay Wakefield's with um, Brian, and this guy walked in, and um, he had this like brace on. I was like, "Hey, what graph did you have?" Yeah, he's like, "Yeah, ACL, man, holograph." I was like, ah, "You too." And there was like this instant bond, and we just started connecting. Um, and if I could leave us with something, it's that Jesus looks at us and he's like, "Hey, you too." That doesn't exist in any other religion. 
that there's a God that says, hey, you too. But if we're honest, we don't just want that friend, that shoulder. We want a savior, someone to do something about it. And what Hebrews says is that Jesus is a high priest who's able to sympathize with our weakness. So he's like, hey, you too, me too. But he's God, so he's able to do something about our weakness so we can approach him with mercy and we can approach him with boldness and confidence. And if you're suffering right now, God is saying, you too. Me too. I'm here. Would we approach him? Would we do this? Would we not wait? Would we wrestle in the midst? Let's pray.